So if you remember the uh, end of 1 Samuel, well, 1 Samuel ended with the death of, uh, of Saul. And uh, uh, there had been a battle, thank you, there had been a battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. And uh, it, during that battle, uh, Saul had had died. He had died at the hands of the Philistines. And so uh, with that, there is really, in many respects, a power vacuum uh, in Israel. And uh, it's going to open up the, the, really open up the door for, for David to come in and to reign as king. And so uh, we'll be seeing the beginning of that. It's not going to happen for a few chapters, but um, where he's king of all Israel. But we'll be seeing the beginning of that here in First Samuel, verse one of uh, rather of Second Samuel, verse one of Second Samuel says, "Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Malachites, and David had stayed." two days in Ziklag. Remember, Ziklag was the city that was given to him by the king of Gath when David listened to his own heart, as he shouldn't have been, but God works all things together for good. Uh, but he shouldn't have, and he moved into uh, the land of the Philistines. The king actually gave him a whole city, but while David was away, the Malachites had burned it, taken their, the wives and kids away, along with all the livestock. Uh, David came back. The men were weeping. They actually threatened to stone David, but it says that David took strength in the Lord, heard from the Lord, go after those Amalekites, and you will recover everything that you lost. And so he does that. He goes after the, um, after the Amalekites. Verse 1 here in Second Samuel uh, refers to when he returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. He came back to Ziklag and he was there uh, for two days. It says, On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And so uh, this would have been a two or three day journey. Now, David doesn't know at this time what we know. We know that Saul had just died. Uh, but this, this man comes into the camp. His clothes are tor torn, which is a symbol in the ancient world of terrible news. Uh, he has dirt all on his head. Uh, and so when this guy's coming into the camp, uh, they're looking at him. Uh, the women are looking out, the children, and they're knowing, they're, they're knowing this guy does not, is not the bearer of good news, but bad news. So he prostrates himself uh, in front of David, meaning he basically, it probably means he's flat on his face. Uh, which is a recognition of, of David's uh, position. He's trying to honor him here. Verse 3, David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the land. Rather, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. So David knows there had been a battle. But because, remember, he had lined up to be in the battle with the Philistines against Israel. Israel, The Philistine kings complained, well, look, we don't want this guy here. He was sent home. That's why, that's when he found out um, his wives had been stolen. The, all of his belongings had been either taken or burned down. So he'd been in Ziklag, may have forgotten about the battle because, I mean, uh, uh, he had to... Uh, he, he, he may have forgotten about the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites, because remember, he's chasing after the Amalekites, getting his stuff back and returned. And But but um, here, a man comes into the camp with news. David says, please tell me what happened. And the man said, the people 
have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Verse 11 says, Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So here you have it. Uh, David is mourning with all his people for Saul. Now this is an extraordinary chapter, and we've been talking so much on Sunday morning of extraordinary love. In fact, we just heard a song um, called Reckless Love. It's a song which has been greatly criticized on the grounds that uh, God's, God could never behave recklessly. But, but um, the, the writer of that song made it very clear that it, it wasn't from, it's not from God's perspective that it's reckless, but it's man's perspective that often God's love looks reckless. That's what the songwriter said. So that's why we sing it. And I really do like the song because when you look at the love described in the Bible, it really does look like a reckless love to the natural man. And we've been talking so much about this in Romans 12, 13, and 14, 12, 13, 14, and 15, which is all describing what it means uh, Romans 12 1 to offer your body as a living sacrifice uh, to the Lord what does that mean well what we've seen in chapter 12 chapter 13 chapter 14 it's a reckless love meaning a love at least from the viewpoint of the natural man it almost doesn't make not almost it doesn't make any sense it looks reckless it looks foolhardy it looks um, it, it, it looks stupid. Um, you know, why would someone love like that? And uh, here you get an example uh, that um, it, it wasn't necessarily a new thing. Some of the principles we've seen in Romans 12, 13, and 14, uh, they were drawing on the people of God and what the rule of God that they lived by at the time. And that was, in this case here, Love your enemies. Now, David certainly loved Jonathan, and we'll talk more about that later. But we're going to see here he's lamenting also, and he will lament further the life of Saul being taken. Even though Saul had been in the most bloodthirsty manner trying to hunt him down and kill him. Saul had killed a city of priests, 70 priests and their uh, their wives and their children he had he was a bloodthirsty man and um, he had lost his mind and and no doubt many many innocent deaths um, at, at the at the hand of Saul but here you have it says it says uh, David tore his own clothes and he mourned and he wept until evening for Saul and Jonathan. And he, 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 it says he, notice this, it says he also wept for the people of the Lord. 
and for the house of Israel. Um, because just the, the effect of having a king, a king of Israel, and he was the first king of Israel to die uh, in, in such a way. He, he's, he's mourning here. You know, the Bible says, says in Ezekiel, this is God speaking, Ezekiel 18, verse 23, it says, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Says the Lord God. And not that he should turn from his ways and live. God takes no pleasure at all in the death of anyone, including the wicked. The book of Job, which is um, scholars believe the oldest book in the Bible says this. Job says this in chapter 31, verse 29. Remember, Job had lost all his sons and daughters, lost all his possessions, and lost his health. And he's wondering why that all happened. And he says in verse 29 of chapter 31, If I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me, or lifted up when evil found him, then I could understand why all this evil be uh, came over me. But he's saying, I didn't do that. Meaning, it's, it's, it's a bad thing. It's not a God thing. It's not a righteous man does not rejoice over the destruction of him who hates him. Listen, this book, we, we have a super, this is a supernatural book. It is a, it is a book that is contrary to the reason of natural man. The, the, the oldest book in the Bible is even saying, do not rejoice over the destruction of someone who hates you over your enemy. And, and so uh, we're going to get into that more, but, but um, just an astonishing book that we have, an astonishing God that we worship. And, and so uh, David, uh, verse 13, it says that David said to the young man who told him, where are you from? And he answered, I am a son of an alien and a Malachite. Now, now this, it does appear that although he was an Amalekite, remember David, the Amalekites were, um, were supposed to have been basically eliminated by the Israelites. Uh, remember, Saul was told to kill all the Amalekites, and he didn't. Uh, and uh, and so uh, they were uh, an enemy of the people of Israel ever since when the Israelites were come up, coming out of Egypt. The Amalekites came up from behind the uh, the people of uh, of Israel and attacked them, and that was a big, big no no. Uh, and uh, ever since then. Um, Actually, God at that time promised their future destruction. So he's an enemy, but the people of many nations would gather to Israelites for, for various reasons. Uh, there are some scholars who said he's lying when he said, said he came from the camp of Israel. But um, most agree that um, he had attached himself uh, to the people of, of, of God and, and to Saul and the army of Saul and had participated in some way in the battle against the Philistines. He says, I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? You know, this 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 poor fellow, you, uh, there there is... You do sympathize for him. He's probably already nervous when he saw David mourn and weep because Saul had died. He was probably expecting David would be rejoicing. But again, this book and the people who follow this book, who really follow this book, are unlike any other people in the whole world. And, and, and so he was probably already really nervous that, that David's mourning, weeping, and fasting because of the death of Saul. Uh, but then... Now he's got to really be nervous. How was it, David asked them, that you were not afraid to put forth your hand and to destroy the king of Israel, the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said to him, Go near and execute him. 
and he struck him so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And so uh, David is making it really clear here. There's just a couple of things, and I want to go back, and I'm really going to uh, emphasize this tonight. What we have is an extraordinary supernatural faith. Uh, There's a couple things going on here. One, that David is not only genuinely mourning the death of Saul and weeping it, a man who had been trying to kill him for years and years, we think 10 years, who's trying to kill David. But in, uh, in addition to that, it's just the sacredness of life. The sacredness of life. You, you don't, what he should have done is he he should have uh, he should have uh, tried in some way to help him to live, and you know this is one of the one of the many many verses in the Bible which I think make it very clear that assisted suicide is evil, is an evil thing, and that the church should speak out against it. But but it it really speaks to the sanctity of life here. I mean, we had just seen in, in two chapters ago, remember there's the, the story where David's chasing after the Amalekites, but he doesn't know where, um, he doesn't know where they are. And he runs into a, a, a servant who's, who's been left to die by his master because he was sick. He was an Egyptian who had, been, who had a, a master who was an Amalekite who just left him to die uh, because he was sick. And, and you saw David nurse him back to life. And, and, and that was a, an ex- extraordinary thing at that time. It wasn't a normal thing. A slave who's sick, you just let him die. Uh, but, but here you, you see it again. Life is sacred. There is, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm thinking, boy, you know, people hear me. They think I'm a... They think I, yeah, I, I sound like a broken record, but this is one of the reasons that the church takes such a, a strong and righteously stubborn stand for pro-life, for the sanctity of the unborn children, is because God takes it really, really, really seriously. He takes it really seriously. And the killing of any life, even uh, even a life, or, or or even a life that is on the verge of death, it's not ours to take. It's not ours to take. Now, I'm not talking about here that someone um, who is brain dead and they're on ventilators can't be taken off machines. No, that, that, I'm not talking about that at all. When when through natural courses a person's going to die, I'm not talking about that. But I'm I'm talking about it's a very serious thing to um, to to be the arbiter of, of life and and death. And you know that the greatest judgment that has ever been seen on planet Earth was when, and and it's not even close. It was Noah, where. Everyone on earth was destroyed except for eight people, no one in his family. And the reason given was violence, was, was blood. It's a very, very serious thing. But so here uh, you see this person, he's put to death, this Amalekite is put to death for, for killing, um, uh, killing King Saul, even though it appears that he was close to death. Now, a, a, a question's raised here, and I hope you're reading your Bibles carefully, and you say, wait a second, uh, this is a different story than we read at the end of 1 Samuel. The end of 1 Samuel says, um, chapter 31, verses 4 and 5, that he ordered his armor bearer, to, after he was severely wounded, he ordered his armor bearer to kill him, and his armor bearer refused to do it, and then it says at the end of verse 4 of chapter 31 of 1 Samuel that Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So 
uh, now critics of the Bible would say this is inconsistent and therefore proof that the whole Bible should not be uh, taken um, as a, a, a document that is infallible in its original manuscripts and inspired by God uh, as if the writer forgot when they started writing Second Samuel, what had just happened, and and for at the very very end, last chapter of First Samuel. No, that's not at all the case. Um, there are two though explanations of what happened here. One explanation uh, is that the Amalekites, who were not in any way, shape, or form known for their character at the time. They were an exceedingly wicked people. Uh, they were in, in, in a cancer, really. That God, the God told them, you, you, you need to put to death these people. They're going to destroy you if you keep them alive. Um, some say the Amalekite was lying, that he uh, came across Saul's body and he immediately, ka-ching, 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 uh, thought of, uh, that, he, that he would get a reward from David, if he goes sought out David, he gave him the crown, and it's like he's going to reward me. Reward me! I killed his enemy. I'm going to get a big fat bonus. He'll make me a a member of his cabinet or something. And they think that is what um, the real story was here, and it was a fabrication that he didn't kill Saul. He came upon a dead Saul, just took his crown and. Uh, in his bracelet and came to David expecting money. You know, that may be the case. Um, I think that um, it is entirely possible as well that when 1 Samuel 31 verse um, 5 says the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. What it really means is he thought he was dead. He wasn't dead. And that um, Saul now is in incredible anguish and asks a passerby, listen, finish me off. I've, I've tried to kill myself. I've been unsuccessful. Would you please um, uh, kill me? And so, um, you know, I, at the verse, verse, end of verse 9, the, the convincing line for that argument is at the end of verse 9 where the Amalekite says that when Saul asked him to, to, to kill him. Saul says, but my life still remains in me. And of course, we know tragically of many, many unsuccessful suicides. This is um, a, a suicide attempts, I should say. This is um, would be an example of that. You can choose which one you believe. Uh, please don't believe that that this is an, uh, a contradiction. Um, I think that's a little foolish. You got to do a lot better than that. Um, the the writer, uh, someone who write, starts writing Second Samuel, is not uh, did not was not unaware of the end of First Samuel, and so um, um, you can choose whatever one that you want there. But uh, what's clear from this story is that uh, this account of him killing Saul. Uh, it's it, it, when he was not dead. That's not okay. It's not okay with the people of God. It's not okay with God. Uh, and, and so uh, then it says in verse seventeen, David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. So lamented means he he, he sorrowed. And verse eighteen says and. He told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. Um, book of Jasher is one of those books um, mentioned in the Bible that's not in the Bible, but uh, parts of other books were adopted into the Bible. The book of Jasher is one of them. It's a lost book. Uh, but David writes this song, and he writes it to lament to mourn the lives of, 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 of Saul and Jonathan. And he says this, The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. 
So he refers to Saul, this man who um, had done, had, was the cause of so much anguish, so much pain, so much sorrow in David's life. David was able, able to forgive and let go. He's able to, to, to see here was a man who started off well, and he did, for Samuel chapter 11. He started really well. Outstanding. He started off well. And, and he actually calls, um, refers to Saul as the beauty of Israel. Now there's a man who gets the Lord. Because every human being is made in the image of God. In a sense, every time a person dies. Remember, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why might that be? Because every human being is made in the image of God. Might I remind you of the, these verses at the very beginning of Genesis? Um, so important um, to, to remember uh, these verses. It says, on the sixth day, it says, God says, verse 26 of chapter 1 of Genesis, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. And so, um, he refers to Saul here of, of, as the beauty of Israel. He's able to see the beauty in, in the life of this man, not only because of the, some of the things that Saul did, obviously, earlier on, but because of the fact he, he's made in the image of God. And he's, he's mourning this person. Oh, how the mighty have, fa um, have fallen. He says in verse 20, Tell it not in Gath. Gath was a, a city of the Philistine. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the, re, of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. So he, he's thinking about the Philistines rejoicing, which they did over the death of Saul, and it's an anathema to him that they are doing that. You know, I remember when Osama bin Laden was, um, was killed. And uh, my neighborhood here, which has become more or less a dorm for several universities, especially uh, Northeastern University, uh, there was a tremendous party and there was cheering all night, uh, people chanting. Um, about how happy they were that Osama bin Laden was was dead and uh, just rejoicing, rejoicing, and rejoicing. And I, 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 I know um, that they are lost people that live around me, and but for the grace of God, I would be right there rejoicing with them. But it deeply, deeply grieved my heart when that happened. To just to hear someone rejoicing over um, over the murder of, uh, of of any human being, it's just not something a Christian does. Now I, I know that may sound offensive, considering what Osama bin Laden uh, did. But in the eyes of God, God takes no pleasure. He does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. The Bible says it. We worship an extraordinary God. We have an extraordinary faith. And so um, the, the, the people around, um, in, in a sense, the people around me that night rejoicing at the death of bin Laden were like the Philistines triumphing and rejoicing over the death of Saul. And I know that's a very strong statement, but we, but we worship an extraordinary God who, who takes life very, very seriously. E the, the fact of the matter is every person, including Osama bin Laden, including even Adolf Hitler, including um, and also including Saul here, made in the image of God. And that's just a sacred, sacred, sacred 
thing. Uh, in, in verse 21, it says, O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor field of your offerings, for the shield of the mighty is cast away, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. So Gilboa was the mountain which, um, uh, which, which Saul was killed on. And uh, what he is saying here is, it's poetic language, obviously. I hope no rain comes upon you, mountain. And he's, it says, the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil, meaning his, his shield had been cast to the ground because he had been killed. Uh, and um, it's not anointed with oil. Uh, they uh, had the custom there, uh, we can actually read about this in one of the chapters in Isaiah of anointing their shields with with oil. I guess it was a way that spears went off of them, or or or, or this kind of uh, of thing. But um, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil, would have had dirt or blood. Verse twenty-two: From the blood of the from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty. The bow of Jonathan did not turn back, verse 22, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. And so he is um, speaking here just to their bravery. You know, Saul, for all his faults, is right in the middle of the battle. Right in the middle of the battle. And uh, I think I had mentioned a couple, um, a few lessons ago that it wasn't until after World War One's uh, that uh, so many British officers were killed because of the practice of being right in the middle of the battle that, um, it, you know, and they were knocked off by snipers that the, the military practices uh, changed to the fact that, listen, we got to protect our, our officers because of modern warfare is very different uh, than at the time uh, for, for thousands of years, literally, uh, the generals and kings went right into the thick of things. We'll see that throughout the um, Old Testament, um, actually. And so Saul wasn't a coward. And so he, uh, he is um, really, he's, he, he's, he's bringing and embracing things that can actually be, uh, be praised about, um, uh, about Saul. And one of the reasons we're going to be seeing the movie uh, uh, Free Burma Rangers as, as a church together on Friday night, uh, July 24th, and uh, many, many th good things about that, about that movie. But one of them is, is, is what, at, at one point, um, one of the folks dies in the movie, and it's very clear that, um, it's very clear he, was not, he died not saved, he was not a Christian, but but the 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 man there, um, I'm forgetting his name now, um, who is the head of the ministry, Free Burma Rangers, just gives him um, a tremendous eulogy, just and, and speaks to his, his wonderful humanity and his bravery, and and um, again, nothing at all wrong with praising and lifting up the uh, the name or the memory of a dead person who who is not saved because by virtue of the fact they're made in the image of God uh, they were there's a lot of fallout from the Garden of Eden uh, good fallout in every human being that's ever been created uh, and and there's there there's always something there's uh, that we can be uh, praising someone for uh, upon their death even if they did live a wicked life by virtue of the fact uh, that they were made in the image of, of God. So he's he's praising Saul and Jonathan for their bravery and not um, shrinking back in battle. Verse 23, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. And so, you know, Saul, for all his faults, um, he was loved um, by the, his people. And there's just a recognition of that here. Verse 24, O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury and who put ornaments of gold 
on your apparel. Now remember that at the time that Saul took over, Israel was completely occupied by the Philistines. They were enslaved by them, essentially. Remember from the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel, there was only two people in the whole country that had swords, Saul and Jonathan. The country had been so impoverished, so dominated by the Philistines, the Philistines didn't allow them to uh, have a blacksmith in all of the land. You had to go to, to the land of the Philistines to fix your sickle that you uh, harvested wheat with. Um, so Saul had done a lot for the prosperity um, of Israel, and that's what he's talking about here. Um, Israel, listen, this, this king clothed you in scarlet with luxury. Put ornaments of gold on your apparel. Verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. And so now we know that uh, David's relationship with Jonathan was incredibly special. It was in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says the soul of David was knit to the soul of Jonathan and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Uh, then repeats again in verse thir- 3 of First Samuel chapter 18. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And uh, no doubt he's just crushed here um, by the, 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 the fact that Jonathan is gone. Let me tell you, when you're at the top of a pyramid... Uh, a CEO or, or, or a king or a president um, or, or even in ministry, uh, let me tell you, close friends are highly, highly, highly valued. And to, as we just saw in a, a couple chapters ago, the guys who surrounded David wanted to stone him when Ziklag was burnt down. I mean, so... Uh, you can call them many good things, those guys who surrounded David. Eventually, they became mighty men, but they weren't close, close friends. They were going to stone him. And so um, here, he's, he's definitely crushed um, by this death, the death of Jonathan. And uh, there is this, this statement here, your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. You know, some people uh, say, well, you know, David, considering all the wives he wound up taking, and he did. He took many, many wives, and so he probably did have a jaded view of uh, for for the love of women. Um, it, it it it's it's a it, it's his way of saying, "Look, at my relationship with you is better than the relationship I have with women." I think I I don't agree with that statement. I think really what this is is a statement. Actually, it's a compliment that the love of women. Uh, this is what women are known for for being nurturing with their love to their husband and to their children. And and he's basically saying, look, Jonathan loved me so much, even more than the love of women. It's just a tremendous compliment that he is making there. And um, he's clearly, clearly crushed by this death, the death of Saul and the death of, of, of Jonathan. Now, I want to really zero in on something here. There are some people, by the way, who think that he's lamenting here um, to Saul just as kind of a political thing because eventually... Um, He's going to need to get the favor of the rest of Israel. And he doesn't want them finding out he's, he's rejoicing um, over the death of their king. Uh, and he wants the word to get out that he fasted and all that stuff. I, 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 um, I'm quite certain uh, that that is not true. Um, one of the evidences of that, it says that David, uh, in verse 18, says... He, t- he instructed the people to teach the children of Judah 
this song. So this wasn't just some uh, temporary political uh, sideshow that he was doing. He's actually telling him, I want you to teach this to your children generation after generation after generation. Now again, all I can say is, wow. And I've been on this theme and, and I, I, I believe it's because the Lord has spoken to me about this for you, Calvary Chapel. Particularly you parents, you young parents. Again, are your children seeing a love in their in your home and parents are your children seeing you love others outside your home in a way they'll never be able to see outside the house so that when they leave your home someday and they begin to question their faith they will be able to look back at the faith they saw in your home and say no that's the all faiths are not alike. All religions are not the same. The faith that I saw demonstrated by my parents was unlike anything else that, that is, is offered in the world. Parents, are, you, are your children seeing that? Uh, and, uh, and of course, I, I don't want to lay condemnation and, and a great burden on anybody. In fact, the, the Bible says in 1 John, the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. Uh, they're not impossible is what he's saying. By the Spirit, God gives you everything we need for life and godliness. First Peter chapter, Second uh, Peter chapter uh, one verse three. Parents, everything you need for life and everything you need to love in a way that's unlike the world, extraordinarily not like the world. God has given you, and you can do it. And part of that, of course, is going to be you're going to mess up, and you're going to mess up, and you're going to mess up again. But guess what? You're going to, in front of your kids, you're going to ask for forgiveness. You're going to apologize. And they're going to see that humility. But here you see this song. And generations of children, they're going to know all about how evil Saul was. But they're going to see how David calls him the beauty of Israel. Calls him uh, valiant. Um, and uh, speaks of him being a blessing to the people. In other words, the, the children are going to learn this. This is how I'm supposed to behave towards my enemies. That's what the children are going to learn. And you know, so often, what um, I have observed over now, I'm getting old, <laughs> uh, over now the decades, uh, 30 years of being a Christian, is, is Christian parents have three priorities and number one that the the first priority they have is the health and 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 safety um, of their children the the second pro, uh, priority they have is protecting their children's ears from hearing evil and protecting their children's eyes from seeing evil and that's their that's their preoccupation first health and safety second let them i don't want them to to hear a four-letter word. I, I, I don't want them to, um, um, to, to see something that, that's wrong. Uh, it, it, and the, the preoccupation is those things. And then number three, in, in, in order of priority, yeah, and then I just got I, I to gotta teach them the Bible. Listen, it's not that the first two are, are, are not important. You're not loving your kid if you're not keeping them safe and you're not keeping them uh, uh, healthy. And, and you're not loving your children if you're allowing anything to go into their ears and eyes. But the number one priority of your parenting, Calvary Chapel, parents of Calvary Chapel, is showing your kids and teaching your kids. Jesus, teaching them Jesus and then living an authentic life inside the home. David here says, Teach this to the children of Judah. Teach them about an extraordinary love. Teach them this. Generation after generation after generation. So important, Calvary Chapel. And we, we've just been, uh, over and over, we've been hammering this point, and I believe it's the Spirit of God. I, I, 
I, the Bible says, train up your child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they're not to depart from it. And everyone interprets that like, you know, train up your child in the way should they go, they'll backslide, and then they'll come back. No. What kind of promise is that? Some kids will backslide, but, but, but train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, and they're not to depart from it, that's like a one-way shot. They don't depart from it, ever. Why? Because they've seen something extraordinary. A supernatural life of God in the home. And that's what you want. And, and, and so, uh, again, not that health and, and, and physical safety and protecting their ears and eyes from evil um, or bad things. They're good things, but nowhere near as important as pouring Jesus out on them. So very important. And that's what we've been um, learning. Uh, it means to... Uh, an extraordinary love, Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15. I mean, whoever heard of bless those who persecute you, persecute you, bless, uh, do not curse. Whoever heard of, oh, knowing anything except to love them. Whoever heard of this stuff? Whoever heard of, of uh, uh, saying, you know, I, I'd really like to have um, uh, alcohol at this gathering I have, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to let any alcohol there because someone may come in and stumble. Whoever heard of a love like that? We don't hear of that in the world. And so um, um, here's just another example of, uh, of a, an extraordinary love. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, let's start uh, chapter 2. Uh, we won't finish it, but um, it, it, it's a similar kind of vein as... as, as as chapter 1, it says, And it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And again, he's praying here. And you might think, wait, he's living in the land of the Philistines, the land of the pagans. Why is he even praying? He needs to go back. Listen, pray, 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 pray. Don't assume, never assume anything. Take issues to the Lord. Don't assume. The Lord may tell him, look, yeah, of course you need to get back to the land of Israel, but you need to wait a few months. But he prays. And, and in this case, the Lord affirms. And he says, um, go to the land. Uh, he, uh, he says, the Lord said to him, yes, you need to go back to the land of Israel. David said, where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron, Hebron, which was part of Judah. It would be the capital um, basically of David's reign for the first seven years. He's eventually going to go to Jerusalem. So David went up from, it's Ziklag. He goes from, he leaves the land of Philistines. Uh, never should have gone there in the first place, but God works together all things for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. So he goes from the lands of, of the Philistines. God has turned it all into such good he takes his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of the Nabal the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Verse 4, Then the men of Judah came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Uh, this is something like, 960 BC at this point, where David first uh, is acknowledged king by the people of Israel. Now, he had been anointed, actually, uh, probably decades earlier by the prophet Samuel uh, king, but he did not actually step into the position publicly with Israel uh, until a number of years later. It's I think it's around around nine. 960 BC or something like that. He's made king here, but it's only of the one tribe, uh, only of the tribe of Judah. Remember, there's 12 tribes. Um, the, the other tribes of, of Israel are going to come and join him later, uh, but that's going to happen at a future time. So they anointed David king of the house of Judah, and they told David saying, the men of Jabesh Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. Now that's a different tribe there. I'm trying to remember 
who Jabesh Gilead, whether it was the half-tribe of Manasseh, whether it was uh, Gad, um, I don't remember which tribe that Jabesh Gilead, but it was not Judah, it was a different tribe of Israel. And they told him, they said to him, look, the people from Jabesh Gilead, they, um, they buried Saul. They, and remember at the end of, um, at the end of first Samuel in chapter 31, the last chapter, there's that story about how the Philistines, they, uh, attached Saul's body to the their the temple of their god and the and the people of Jabesh Gilead who 40 years earlier Saul had saved them from having all their right eyes plucked out he saved them from the Ammonites even after 40 years their hearts were so moved about his death they actually went in incredible uh, incredible act of bravery went and got his body and took it uh, back and gave him a proper burial gave his bones a proper burial and um, David is told this and so David says to them verse 5 so David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead saying you are blessed of the Lord now again this may not be what they're thinking David would think of them because they might be thinking like the natural man, surely David is going to be mad at us for bearing the body of Saul because Saul's been trying to kill him for the last 10 years. And certainly David views him as an enemy. So again, that's what the natural man would think. But uh, the Bible is about creating supernatural men and women. And that's, that's not David's reaction at all. He tells them, you're blessed of the Lord. For you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hand be strengthened. And be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So he be, again, it's 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 showing that uh, there's a word for it: the magnanimous heart of, of David, the 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 heart of love, the gracious spirit, the 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 extraordinary God he worships. You know, we become who we worship. We become who we love. Uh, and if you're loving money, you're going to become like uh, you're going to become like it. If if you're loving uh, s sensuality and you're worshiping sensuality or lust, you're gonna that's what you're going to become. But David has become like the God that he serves, and he's gracious uh, to them.